If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I, I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You hear me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for who you are and what you have done. Father, you are holy and righteous God. Father, you are powerful. Father, you are magnificent in your creation. The whole earth is full of your glory. Father, we confess when we stand beside the ocean, when we look at the stars above, when we stand at the bottom of a mountain, we feel how small we are in this universe. And we realize that you're not simply a God that is high and lifted up, but you're a God who has drawn near to your people. You're a God who has entered into the story of creation to redeem a people that have spurned you that have committed cosmic treason against you, that have run and rebelled against you. Father, we confess that we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord has laid upon Christ the iniquity of us all. He, at the cross, was treated as we deserve, so we would be treated as Christ is in the presence of God. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the manger where the word became flesh. We thank you for the hillsides and the 
kitchens and the cities where you taught us of the kingdom and you revealed to us the Father's heart and our need for a Savior. We thank you for Calvary where you suffered on a cross outside the city that we may come into the fellowship of the, the city of the king and eat at his table. Father, we thank you for the empty tomb where you declared your victory and you proved you were who you said you were and you did what you said you were going to do. And we thank you that you're coming again. Our hope is in your promises. Father, be with us this morning. Guide in our hearts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to love your word. Father, we praise and we thank you for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. In the name that is above all names, we pray, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. A couple of people have asked me, are we continuing in Lamentations? I don't know if that's a, I hope we're not continuing in Lamentations, or I hope we are. Uh, but this morning we'll be in John chapter 14, specifically looking at verses 25 uh, through 31, 25 through 31. I uh, refer to this season as the peace on earth time. And we can see all the times where everybody has ornaments and pictures and songs all about peace on earth. And we, everything from commercials. Uh, some of you remember this classic Coca-Cola commercial where they had the nations of the world on probably a Swiss, a Swiss hillside. Everyone had a Coke in their hand from every nation and they sang, I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Go grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to buy the world a Coke, talk about some uh, product placement, and keep it company, that's the real thing. Another one that you can't talk about peace on earth without talking about David Bowie and um, Bing Crosby, right? Um, singing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. This was actually just weeks before Bing Crosby died. They sang peace on earth, can it be? Years from now, perhaps we'll see. See the day of glory. See the day when men of goodwill live in peace, live in peace again. Peace on earth, can it be? And then they continued in a rousing rendition of Little Drummer Boy. Another area of peace and story we hear through history and through commercials and stories is the Christmas Day Truce of 1914, where French and German and British troops met in no man's land on Christmas Day to exchange both food and souvenirs and chocolates. They buried their dead, they swapped survivors, and some accounts say they caroled, sang some carols, and maybe played a little bit of soccer. However, that uh, truce on Christmas Day was short-lived because orders came from the top, do not fraternize with the enemy. One particular general, or um, I don't, he wasn't a general at the time, was a young Adolf Hitler in the German army. Uh, the next year of Christmas 1915, there was no peace. Uh, the war raged and it was so bitter that they would not any longer call truce. What is peace? 
Is peace in our world even possible? If you look at the global, um, it's called the Global Peace Index, where they look at every nation by crime and poverty and political unrest and domestic issues and violence, they find that the United States is 121st out of 163 nations. As a country, as a people, as a world, we have a fundamental problem with peace. Many people seek peace in this world, but few people actually find it. Part of that problem is the definition of peace that we have. As Lenin and the other musicians would say, peace is when wars stop. What, war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Some of you child of the 60s may remember that song. Ultimately, I believe the cessation of wars is a biblical desire. Uh, we read Scott, in, in, or not Scott, uh, Steve and Nora read this morning out of Isaiah chapter 2. There will be a day when weapons of war are no longer necessary and they will beat their plows or beat their swords into plowshares. The weapons of war will only be good for gardening and making peace and growing in prosperity. But the problem is, if as Christians, we buy the world's definition of peace, not having conflict, we will never find the peace that Christ gives. And if by some Christmas miracle in a few weeks, all the war wars in this world were to stop instantaneously in a truce for one day, there still would not be peace in our hearts. Because we find conflict and struggle in great ways and also in small ways. There are great ways where there's conflict, where we have no peace, wars between the nations and political struggles, religious strife and ethnic hostility and divisions towards one another. But not only large-scale things, but also small areas of conflict that we also have. Tensions and struggles that exist um, that bring malice and bitterness and hatred and selfishness of that sin that has poisoned our heart now poisons not only our bodies and our, but our relationships and it drives wedges between families and friends. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Just think of when you spend the holidays with your family sometimes that you realize the tensions that exist there. There's also conflict not only between people, things are not the way they're supposed to be, but also conflict within people. Fear and anxiety, worry about the trials of last week and of yesterday and the difficulties of tomorrow and the uncertainty of tomorrow brings mental anguishes and causes our heart to be troubled. We are a restless people. Our world desperately seeks peace, but our world can seldom finds that peace. This is why it is good that you're here, that the rain did not stave you off and keep you away, but this morning that you hear the gospel. Because it is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can have true light, uh, uh, peace. And I want you to know this morning this, when your heart is restless... Find rest in the peace of Christ. When your heart is restless, find rest in the peace of Christ. 
But the question becomes, how do we do that? Because search as we may, we will never know peace and experience peace without the loving presence of Christ. Remember the context that Jerry read to us this morning is that they were in the upper room. They knew something was amiss. Jesus has just revealed and really dropped the bomb on them that one of them would betray them and that they had no idea how desperate the, and how dark the hour was quickly becoming. And so in our text this morning, we will not know peace until we rest in Christ's presence and, when, and trust Christ's power. We will not know the peace of Christ until we rest in Christ's presence and trust in Christ's power. Notice verses 27 through 29, how do we rest in Christ's presence? Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us as well this morning, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives it, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We live in a world that has conflict that inevitably causes our hearts to be troubled. Many of you, as we were discussing this conflict, worries, problems, relationship tensions in a world that is, uh, that is torn and tattered in our societies and our government and our environment is not the way it's supposed to be. We put our hope in the, in the promise of the gospel. As we saw last week, as Jeremiah surveyed the ruins of a broken city, he wept and lamented about where their sin had driven them. But he put his hope in the steadfast love of God. And that hope is not a whimsical fancy, but it is a rock-solid conviction that the everlasting God who keeps his promises will not forsake us and not fail to bring us his promises. So Jesus, who is the incarnation of that promise-keeping God, in the beginning of John chapter 14, says these words. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus tells his disciples, you don't have a reason to worry. Trust the Father and trust me. But let me ask you this, as we're reading these words, what do you think? Some of you might roll your eyes. Some of you may give a deep sigh of despair. You roll your eyes because you think that Jesus is completely out of touch with reality. Does he realize what it's like to be me? Does he realize how messed up my family is? Is he watching the news is all? Does he realize what's going on in the world? And then he tells me, don't let your heart be troubled. Some of you who know all of that, on the flip side, sigh because you know how overwhelming the burden can be. Living in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be. Ocean Park, let me ask you this. When you go through situations like that, when you feel the weight of sin in the world, how do you respond? Some of you may cling to the power of positive thinking. 
only thinking of good things in life and visualizing your best life now. If I can think it and I forget about these things, la, 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 and I'm just going to plot forward and only think about the positive things. Some of you build walls by avoiding messy relationships, by creating a superficial veneer or walls that you hide around. I'm, I'm going back to the 60s again with Simon and Garfunkel. Simon said, Paul Simon wrote these, I've built walls, a fortress steep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. And later on he says, I touch no one and no one touches me. We live in isolation behind walls that we build I'm, and we say, I'm fine, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, doing, I'm too blessed to be stressed. When all inside we know the weight and anxiety that is eating us because we have no peace. Some of you, some of us, accumulate stuff. Stuff uh, where, that thinking that wealth allows us to escape. It gives us power to protect ourselves, pleasure to dull our sensitivities, and knowledge to be able to reason our way out of problems. Some of you, some of us, trust in political parties and governments and stability who can legislate peace and protect me from anyone who upset my, my right for life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. Some of us have tried all of these things. And peace is still evasive because positive thinking will eventually slam into the reality of living in a fallen world. That building walls will leave you empty and alone and bitter. Accumulating stuff, your wealth will eventually depreciate, your power will eventually weaken, your pleasure will eventually bore you, and your knowledge will confound you with the increasing of knowledge is the increasing of sorrows, as Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. If your hope is in your politician, eventually in one election, one scandal, one military coup, will destroy your hopes and your dreams and it will come crashing down until the next election cycle when your hopes and dreams are then put in the next guy or the next gal. In the event, if we seek to avoid conflict and create a world that is free from turmoil, it will leave us empty and broken and isolated. It does not fix the problems of sin or restore a fallen world. Because why? It only deals with symptoms rather than the heart problem, the, the actual illness. It allows superficial healing. We pretend everything's okay and it has a superficial uh, healing that happens, but really the, the infection is festering deep within the, the body. And then one small scrape and that wound is open. And this is the very thing that Israel herself did in the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 6, chapter, uh, chapter 6, verses 13 through 14. Jeremiah says, far from the least of these to the, the greatest of these, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. It really honestly sounds like our world. They have healed the wounds of my people lightly. It's a superficial healing that has happened. They think everything's okay. Saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. If we all can just pretend and get along, we'll be okay. 
But Jesus says peace cannot be achieved by our own strength or our ability to create our own wisdom. Peace only comes from the presence of Christ. Notice this wholeness in verse 27. The wholeness of Christ's presence. Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. The peace of Christ is wholly different than the superficial peace that the world promises. It's different because peace that is not built on the lack of conflict, but on the wholeness that Jesus brings. Peace, the New Testament word for peace is arene which is really the equivalent in the Old Testament of shalom. And many of you know, have heard the word shalom before. Many uh, Jew, contemporary Jews, when they greet one another and when they um, wave, bid goodbye to one another, they say shalom, peace. And it's not just the cessation of conflict, but it's a wholeness. It's a, a unity. It's a harmony in all of their life. They're wishing that peace and declaring that peace and blessing one another with that. It's very interesting when you look all throughout the Old Testament, these words shalom, which is all hidden within the, the translations. You see, when Joshua is receiving instructions for the altar and telling the people, and it's, or Moses, it says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as is written in the book of the law, an altar of uncut stones. That's the word shalom. Stones that not have been cut or broken, but whole stones that are untouched. You see this wholeness that the peace of God brings. And then in Job, it's talking about shalom is seen. It's, you shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. That your flock is full. You have all of your animals and your goods. There's nothing missing. There's a unity. There's a wholeness that exists in this word of shalom. Another one is in Exodus. If um, somebody steals your beast or your ox, you don't pay attention and you don't fix the fence and it wa your ox wanders off uh, and is found alive in possession because someone stole it from you, whether it's an ox or a donkey or a sheep, the perpetrator that stole your donkey or ox or sheep will shalom double will pay double. They will make it right. They will bring wholeness once again to what they have broken, what they have stolen. They will bring, restore that to the wholeness, to the unity, to the peace that was there once. And then in 1 Kings we see, and Shalom is all throughout Scripture, for Solomon was his old wives turn away his heart after other gods. His heart was not Shalom to the Lord his God as it was the heart of David his father. It wasn't wholly devoted towards God. It was parceled out to many gods and many wives and the unfaithfulness there. Biblical peace is not the absence of war, but the recognition that life is complex. Like a brick wall that has many bricks, but they are united together that make one whole, one brick uh, life is full of many moving parts and many relationships that affect one another. 
your work reflects your affects your home and your your relationship with your spouse or affects your relationship with your children and your relationship with your children affects all of that your health reflect affects all of this life is complex is not life is 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 unique and depth has great depth and when one part goes awry the whole part suffers and you feel it's not right consider when i was 3 years old my appendix my appendix ruptured that little little tag of skin at the end of your intestines can cause great damage in your body when it goes awry. Think about if you ever have a toothache that is aching you. Think if you ever slam your thumb with a hammer. One little part when that is not right affects the rest of your body. The essence of shalom is the wholeness that God can bring in the midst of our, what sin has broken. But the question is, how do we receive the peace of God? How do we receive the wholeness that the peace of God gives? It's by the presence of God himself. Notice in our chapter, in John chapter 14, go back a few verses to John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus is praying he says I will ask or speaking I will ask the father and he will give you another helper this is the Holy Spirit to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him how do you know the spirit that's been given to bring wholeness for he dwells with you and will be with you the presence of Christ is found in the spirit that he has given But then go a few verses more, even more. I mean, just the Spirit of God living us should blow our mind. But then in 1423, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And then look at this. We, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, will come to him and what? Make our home with him. True peace, brothers and sisters, is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of God in the lives, in the minds, in the hearts of his people. You will not have peace by simply removing your troubles or eliminating your conflict. That's not the promise of God. The promise of God is that in the midst of of troubles in the midst of conflict you will not be destroyed because Christ dwells within you because he is in you you can be whole and you can have shalom it's not the presence of conflict it's not the absence of conflict it's the presence of God in his people Christ is able to fill the cracks and holes and to restore the damage and make whole what sin has stolen and killed and destroyed. Brothers and sisters, you and I know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be yet. We have the confidence, the the solid rock on which we stand, all other ground is sinking sand, that our promise-keeping God is working to make all things new. Revelation 21, verse 5. I am, behold, I am making all things new. He is bringing shalom, peace, irene, wholeness, unity. I remember a very difficult season of life that Denise and I went through. 
Uh, we had gone through the pain of three miscarriages, the loss of Denise's mother at 57 years old, suddenly one night, and then having dear friends of ours move out of state. And I remember in the course of these conversations, Denise looking at me and saying, everything that the Lord has taken from us, he has filled us with himself. See, there are pieces in our lives that we lose, holes that we feel, but it is the presence in the spirit of God that fills those holes like the The tide fills the tide pools and restores life to the tide pools and to the animals and the creatures and the plants that live there. The Spirit of God, the presence of Christ, comes and fills the lives of his people. Ocean Park, if you seek peace this morning, you have come to the right place. For this morning we hear the voice of genuine peace, the voice of Christ saying and promising us his presence that will bring us peace, that will bring us shalom. When your heart is restless, when your heart is troubled, find rest in the presence of Christ. Not only do we rest in the presence of Christ, but we also trust Christ's power. Verses 30 and 31. I will no longer talk much with you, Jesus is saying, as he has spent the last few hours eating with his disciples and washing his disciples' feet and and talking to his disciples and he pours his heart out. Judas has left and within hours Judas will betray Jesus and Jesus is pouring out and making the final instructions to his children and his disciples before they leave. For the ruler of this world is coming. He knows the the darkness that will envelop him. Just as in Narnia, the uh, Aslan saw Lucy and knowing the white witch and her minions were coming, uh, he gives Lucy those instructions and Susan and tucks them away, knowing what's coming. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He, the ruler of this world, has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. From 27 B.C. to 180 A.D., historians call the span of 206 years the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was a period of unprecedented peace within the Roman Empire. But the Peace of Rome was actually a very superficial peace because anyone that rose up in conflict or rebellion was crushed by the power of the Roman army. First, it was the Jews that were crushed, and we see the Hanukkah story, the the Maccabees time. Then you also see later, it was Christians who were thrown to the lions, that anybody that dissented against Caesar as Lord was crushed, and that anybody that uh, rose up, it was not peace, but it was forcible, ruthless submission of Rome. It was during that time where first century Jews desired and expected the peace of the Messiah would come by the sword to throw off the tyranny of the Roman Empire. Yet when the peace of 
Prince of Peace arrived, he did not wield the sword, but he stood in silence as his opponents mocked him and derided him and spit upon him and struck him. He stood in silence. This was the promise all along that the people missed. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Notice in John chapter 14, verse 30, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me. On the eve of the darkest day in humanity, Jesus warned his disciples, yet all the powers of hell could not sever the root of Jesse, the, the, the root of David that was to come, the savior of the world, the prince of peace. Jesus, or not Jesus, J.C. Ryle in his commentary writes this. He says, let us mark the difference between Christ and all others who have been born of a woman. He is the only one in whom Satan has no power over. He came to Adam and Eve and found weakness. He came to Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and all the saints and found imperfection. That imperfection that we know is in our hearts as well. As sin, the tentacles of sin have reached deep and tainted and touched our hearts. But when Satan came to Christ and found nothing at all, he was a lamb without blemish and without spot, a suitable sacrifice for a world of sinners, a suitable head for a redeemed race. Brothers and sisters, the promise of the gospel declares that peace can be had through the blood of Christ. On account of the fact that Jesus' holiness and righteousness, his perfect uh, righteousness and perfect obedience was unchallenged and unquestioned. His righteousness was untainted by sin and selfishness and pride. He loved the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind. He loved his neighbor as himself, thus fulfilling the law. And his sacrifice on our behalf has restored shalom, wholeness, unity, peace, this is the promise of Christ, the promise of the gospel. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not by works, not by our own potential, not by what we've done, our lineage, our charity, but by faith. Faith in what? The atoning sacrifice and the perfect righteousness of God. We have what? Peace, shalom, wholeness, once again, with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul, writing elsewhere in Scripture, writes this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off, why were we far off? Because of sin, the boundaries of, the, because we could no longer be in the presence of God, of His holiness, we were expelled from the garden with Adam. We have now been brought near by what? The perfect blood of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me shalom, whole? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For he himself is what? 
our peace. The work of Christ infuses us with wholeness in the world that the world is simply unable to give. The work of Christ has brought peace by reconciling both God and man, both man and his neighbor. This is why this morning we sang Charles Wesley's hymn, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. What is that? God and sinner reconciled. It's not just a let's lay down, let's not uh, fight today, and tomorrow we'll start shooting each other again. Or later that night will do it. Peace, arene, shalom is only when God, that, that, that um, vertical uh, peace and shalom has happened because of the blood of Christ. The promise of the, of the gospel has been realized that has brought peace between God and man. And the gospel which brings peace between man and his neighbors. I once sat down um, with an elder of a local church, you don't know him, and he asked me what should be done. He just wanted my advice and wanted my input, and something, there had been some uh, friction in his relationship, uh, things had been done and words had been said that had brought um, strain to that relationship to, to a point where he was unsure if he could still be in that church because of what happened. And he told me all the sordid details and the history, and I asked some questions, and really wanting to get to the heart of the issue, I asked him this question, and this is how all we should always ask. How does the gospel apply to this situation? How does the shalom of Christ restore broken relationships between two believers? Can the gospel of Christ restore relationships between believers? These are elders of a gospel-loving church. Can they be restored back together? And I said this after probably some silence and some musing and some questions. We give grace to our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we have received the grace of God. We can forgive for words said and careless things that have been done because Christ granted us forgiveness of far greater. We can love others self-sacrificially because God first loved us. This is the gospel that reconciles God and man and man and his neighbor and her neighbor. Not by pretending everything is okay. Cry, no, don't, let, um, don't cry out loud. Another, I'm going way back. In the, in my, old, my, my mom used to drive me around and listen to oldies, and this is why I know this stuff. Not pretending everything is okay. Not by cutting people off or building walls to keep people out. Not by walking away and leaving tensions unresolved and letting it fester below the surface. And it comes out in ways that we don't expect. But we trust the gospel. The gospel that's able to penetrate the cracks and the brokenness of our sin to bring wholeness and restore the damage that is caused by sin. The reason that we do not have peace in the world is not because Christ's power is weak. It's because our faith is weak. Our faith is small. And many, there is no faith at all. 
We don't trust the life-giving, peace-infusing power of the gospel to reconcile and bring wholeness in relationships, either vertically or horizontally. Ocean Park, the only way we can know the peace of Christ's presence is stop relying on our own strength to avoid conflict or pretend everything is just fine. If you ever talk to a teenage girl and you ask her how she's doing and she just says, fine, don't believe her. But that's what we do. I'm fine. Everything's good. I'm blessed. When deep down inside we're screaming, I'm not okay. And I don't know what to do about it. I have no peace. I am restless. Ocean Park, we can only know the peace of Christ's presence when we stop relying on ourselves. Until we do, conflict will only fester and intensify. If you think about it, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was disciples who scattered like sheep to avoid the soldiers who arrested Jesus. Rather than dealing with it, they scattered. For the next few weeks, they lived in constant fear of the Jews. Think about it when Peter, standing by the firelight, Jesus was probably between from here to the back wall, and Jesus could see him, and he's within earshot and be able to see him. Peter was warming himself with the fire with other people, and a little servant girl, probably 13, 14, finally came up to Peter and says, aren't you one of them? And he vehemently denied it to a little girl. What was, rather than avoiding the conflict and trusting the power of the gospel, he wept bitterly and it ate him apart because he trusted his own strength, not the presence of Christ, nor his power. It was not until the disciples trusted the promise of Christ and, believe, and trust his presence and seek his presence that they experienced the peace of Christ. Ryle, again, continuing, says this, There is nothing lacking on Christ's part for our comfort. The reason we don't have peace in this world is not because of lack of Jesus. If, if we only come to him, believe, and receive, the chief of sinners has no cause to be afraid. If we only look to the one true Savior, there is medicine for every trouble of the heart. Half our doubts... And fears arrive from dim perceptions of the real nature of Christ's gospel. It's a gospel confusion why we don't have peace in our hearts. It's because we really don't trust it. I believe, but we don't cling to the cross. We don't really trust it. Some of our chips are in the table. But as we have to be like Kenny, well, Kenny Rogers doesn't talk about it, all the chips are on the table. We put everything on Christ and trust him with our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength. Ocean Park, when we pursue Christ and trust the promise of the gospel, the loving presence of his spirit moves in our heart and brings us peace. When there is conflict, Jesus brings reconciliation. When there is damage, Jesus brings healing. When there is tension and pain, it is Jesus who can bring relief. When our hearts are restless, find rest in the power of Christ. There are those of us this morning who we hear these words and we want peace. We want peace on earth, but we don't know where to find it. 
For those of you who don't know Christ, who have not put your faith in Christ, you know the tension of this world. You know the lack of conflict is not the presence of peace. Bring Christ your brokenness and he will make you whole. Bring Christ your weakness and he will give you strength. Bring Christ the stain of your sin and he will wash you white as snow. It's Jesus who says this, for all who are under the yoke of their morality or the yoke of the burdens that others have heaped upon them that are crushing them, that they are struggling to stand and survive, Jesus looks at them and says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Not because... It's a tiptoe in the tulip or it's, it's, it's light and free and all your problems going away because you are yoked to Jesus and his strong shoulders bear the brunt of the yoke and he carries you along with his strong, powerful shoulders that also bear the burden of your sin. Confess. Confess that there is no peace in your heart because of the sin that is in your heart. Confessing means to say the same thing about something that God does. That there is sin in my heart because I have rebelled against God. Jesus says in the first words ever recorded. I'm sorry. I don't have it on there. We'll come back. The first words recorded of Jesus in the book of Mark is Mark chapter 1 verse 15. That's going to stay up there. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repenting is not just admitting that you have messed up or you have sinned or the choices that you have made have made a hash of things. To repent means that you recognize the utter hopelessness of your sin and you loathe that sin. Remorse says, I hate the consequences of my choices, but eventually that remorse and that, that feeling wears off, and what happens, you go back to that sin. To repent means I loathe my sin because it violates God's holiness and righteousness, and what do I do? I seek to put it to death, to kill it like a weed in your garden. Don't just weed whack it because it'll come back. You have to kill it with poison. To repent of your sins means to hate it and turn away from it. Our flesh desires that and will pull back to that and there will be a struggle. But to repent, I hate that sin because of what it has done to my world and ultimately to my God. And I turn away from that. And to believe is to trust the promises and the presence of our God to follow his ways and to obey his commandments and seek each day to be and act and uh, think more like Jesus. That starts today. For those of you who have never put your faith in Christ, believe in him today. Repent and believe. It would be my joy after the service to tell you what it means to follow Jesus, and what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to follow him in baptism. And to the believer, to those who said, have repented and believed, but they realize every day is a struggle and every day their flesh fights against them and there is conflict and struggle, bring Christ your struggles. 
And as Psalm 81 says, open your, 8110 says, open your mouth and I will fill it. We have a promise-keeping God that fills his people with power and strength in his presence. Each day you'll be tempted to trust your own strength and to not trust the presence and the power of God. Put to death your self-reliance and your self-preservation that causes your heart to fear. Seek Christ. Seek his presence. Seek his power to restore what sin has broken. Seek the presence of Christ to fill the holes that exist in your heart. Seek the presence of Christ to comfort you when you feel the ache of sin in a broken world. Christ, his presence and his power is able to bring shalom to bring peace to you in the midst of a troubled world that's full of conflict, we can have peace. We can have rest, not by what we have done, not by what our fellow man has done, but because what Christ has done on the cross and he keeps his promises of giving us his peace. Ocean Park, when your heart is restless, find rest in the peace of Christ, his presence and his power.